Hello and welcome to The Scrum, the WGBH news podcast where we talk about politics and sometimes political media from Beacon Hill to the Beltway. I'm Adam Riley, and today we are going to be discussing what impact the Orlando shootings are going to have on the presidential race. That seems, on the face of it, almost like a callous question to dive into. We're talking about massive loss of life and suffering here. People are still being treated in the hospital. Families are still grieving and will be for a long time. But as evidenced by the fact that both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump tried to offer their takes on the attack and what it means in speeches immediately afterward, President Obama has weighed in too, by the way, uh, this, like all things, is instantaneously and intensely political. And I'm joined today by Peter Kadzis, the editor of WGBHnews.org, and David Bernstein, who covers Congress and the Capitol for us from his home base in Virginia. Take a listen. Fabulous. What's life oh, well. like as a New Yorker writer? How, how have things changed? <laughs> I still haven't read the piece, by the way, which reflects horribly on I me. Mean, I want to. I haven't read that either. I didn't I know about really it until cool. Adam told me. I missed it, but I, I'm writing this down now. David's New Yorker piece. It's just a little, you know, I mean, it's just a amuse bouche. Were, were you happy with it? Like how it turned out? Yeah, yeah, it was fine. You know, it was. Uh, um, um, you know, it's just an online thing. Um, you know, but they what, what want was me to the, do more, hopefully. What was well, the excellent. who edited it? Um, I forget his name now. This guy, Eric something, um, he's their like online, you know, digital news editor or whatever. How and, was um, the was the editing Phoenix like? Um, yeah, I would say pretty Phoenix like, yeah, yeah. But this is where you say he, he didn't have your keen eye, Peter, or something. Well, exactly. right? I mean, that goes without saying. So, as you know, we are here today to talk about how the Orlando shootings are going to affect the arc of the presidential race. And I have been struggling with this question. I think I'm probably not the only one for the last couple of days, in part because I'm still not sure what to make of the Orlando mass shootings. Initially, it looked like an act perpetrated by maybe a lone wolf ISIS sympathizer. Then it started to look like it could have been an atrocity committed by a self-loathing gay man. Now, as we record this, there's new revelations about the help the shooter's wife may have given him, uh, which kind of are turning the narrative once again. So I don't know where to go with this, quite frankly. Uh, Peter and David, I'm interested in whether you two are similarly uncertain or whether you have a, a clear sense of how this is going to change things. Well, I'm not uncertain. I have a clear sense. I don't know um, whether others will agree with me. I, I, I think it's important to step back several days. You know, uh, in the days before the Orlando shooting, Trump had a bad week or so, you know, when Hillary Clinton raked him over the coals over his Judge Gonzalez Curiel attacks, no one in the Republican Party, no one came to his defense. Um, but the Orlando massacre, you know, has had a very perverse effect. You know, it, it's jump-started the Trump's faltering campaign. Although I'd wait 10 days or so to see what the polls say, 
but um, I think he's off and running again. David, do you agree with that? Well, well, I'm going to uh, say that that Trump felt that it was a chance to jumpstart his campaign. I think that he made a mistake, though. I, I think that that Peter's exactly right that uh, he was having trouble. He was on the defensive, on his heels, feeling, uh, you know, uh, feeling uh, the heat not only from the usual suspects, but you know, he was getting a lot of heat from. Republicans, you know, from Capitol Hill and elsewhere. Um, Jeff Flake, and, Joe Scarborough. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, the, my understanding is he was getting private calls from, you know, sort of the Mitch McConnell, uh, Paul Ryan type saying, hey, you're making it very, very hard on us up here, you know. Um, and he's not used to being on the defensive, and he likes to be playing offense. So I think as soon as this Orlando thing happened, he saw it as a chance to get right on the offensive and and he you know he was on the attack right out of the gate he was very aggressive he was jumping the conclusions about what had happened and what to do about it he turned his uh, monday speech that was supposed to be just uh, a criticism of of uh, hillary clinton it was going to be you know attacking her on ethics and and so forth he turned it into this you know, aggressive assault on uh, Muslims generally and, and immigration and... And, and on Hillary so, Clinton. Uh, uh, right. right. And, 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 and you know, I think that he felt good about it. It felt good for him to be on the attack. But I think that he did himself a lot of damage. Again, you know, like Peter says, let's wait and see what the polls say. But I think the long-term damage, you don't see a lot of Republicans... Uh, lining up to have his back on a lot of what he's been saying uh, in the couple of days since the uh, since this Orlando attack. David, you had and a really funny they, tweet. Remind me of what the wording was. It was something like, boy, between accusing President Obama <laughs> of treason and doubling down on his idea of a Muslim ban. And then there was a third item. He, you know, Trump sure has distracted uh, or changed the narrative from that Judge Curiel problem or something to that effect. Right. Which in turn had distracted from the Trump U problem, which in turn had distracted from the the tax returns problem. So it's one thing jumping into another. You know, let me go back for a second to what Adam began with. And in, in, um, I'll tell you, in a very different context, uh, Justice Holmes once said, you know, great cases make bad law. I think that's true of headlines in politics. Um, that, you know, the blaring headlines may lead us in directions that that don't bear much, uh, uh, don't jive much with reality. I mean, I think, despite everything that we've been finding out about um, Omar Mateen, you know, to me, the guy is a self-loathing misogynist, you know, um, uh, who redefined going postal, you know, because he couldn't come to grips with his own same-sex attraction. ISIS got the credit. But listen, Orlando is not San Bernardino. It's not Fort Hood. It's not the Boston Marathon. Now, the news about the complicity, uh, the alleged complicity, possible complicity of his wife, nor Mateen, certainly complicates this. But I think what we have is a guy who curiously enough, hid in ISIS's closet to cover up his own, you know, 
psychological problems. All right, let's suppose that your psychological portrait of the shooter is, is correct. Why are you, Peter Kadzis, more bullish about what Trump's response to this is going to do for his campaign than, Peter, uh, than David is? Um, because I think, I, I think most of the media has missed Trump's essential appeal. You know, Trump's nasty words, his extreme positions, you know, that he's taken right from the start of the primary se season, really mirrored very closely the views of likely Republican voters extremely well. Now, you may say, well, why did everyone miss it? I, I refer people to the New York Review of Books, where they got uh, a, a trio of uh, statistical political scientists who dove deeply into the YouGov poll numbers and repolled a lot of people and found that, you know, once you got past um, – once you got past their affiliation with candidates other than Trump, they basically agreed with Trump on issues of immigration. All right. Now, the reason this is important is think back to Barry Goldwater. You know, many of the people listening to this, Barry Goldwater is a figure from the history books. Barry Goldwater didn't revolutionize the Republican Party. Barry Goldwater reflected an emerging anti-civil rights consensus that was already emerging in the Republican Party. And people in the media um, just do not understand how angry or upset the American people are about many immigration-related things. Uh, what's well, what's Peter that, getting wrong, David? Uh, no, I think that, that he's correct, and I, and I think that 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 he's exactly right in his analysis that uh, both, both on uh, on Goldwater and on Trump that uh, that they are uh, represent the the party base you know that's finally getting the leadership to reflect what they really believe Goldwater by the way um, your family is former senator down there in Arizona well that's certainly true yeah um, I, but uh, um well, we have some oddballs coming from Arizona, though, so. but I, I know you know. But, but Goldwater sort of was what he was. But but he, you know, like uh, Peter said, he reflected a lot of what uh, the the Republican Party was thinking at the time, which which was uh, you know sort of a common refrain, and and frankly has been you know has has been fairly consistent. The the specifics of the topics changed, but has have not changed that much through Trumpism in terms of the general resentments about how uh, how people feel about the changing world around them and that the world feels like it's being set up to, to weigh in the favor of other people other than people like me, you know. And, and that's a real resentment, and, and, you know, whatever you may think about the validity of it or where it comes from or the biases or the solutions, that's very real. The, the, the problem is that what the Republican leadership has understood since then is that you're talking about a shrinking and shrinking and shrinking piece of the general election pie, and you can't just go into a general election um, with those resentments of the white working class male, um, because that's just not going to win you the election in a, in a general election. And what I think that that Trump, you know, 
know, it's always hard to read into what Trump may be thinking behind the scenes. But but Trump's actions and and what he says, as well as what he does, seem to reflect that, that he does not appreciate the difference between the, the Republican base that he won over a majority of yeah. and the general audience and specifically the, the swing audiences that he needs to to appeal to um, who get, you know, who just do not respond well, many of them. Some of them do respond well to this sort of thing, but an awful lot of them don't. Peter Kadzis, you want to get in here. I see your finger raised well, in the well, air. Well, I, I think David's correct. This this perception gap between what wins you a primary and um, what wins general election is symptomatic of a, a much deeper, more serious problem. And that problem is that Trump's candidacy is a national emergency. You know I'm usually so cynical that I say, ah, we're all blowing this stuff out of proportion. Trump's candidacy is a national emergency. It's not only a crisis of conscience on the one hand, it's a practical crisis that could challenge our constitutional system as it's never been challenged, you know, not even by Richard Nixon. You know, this guy has the Atlantic had a big piece, but I've I've read more about this too. He's not just, you know, an ego-driven politician. This guy's got narcissistic personality disorder. He's unstable, he's unpredictable, and he's concerned with little more than how others perceive him. He's, you know, he's an overgrown teenager, you know. All right. If well, I, I agree with that, and, and I, think that, I think that there hasn't been enough looked at about his personality disorder, which I've talked about um, over months, um, what that could mean. But I would, I'll just add to what Peter was saying, that there's a specific problem, crisis, at the moment that the way he's talking about Muslims generally and and how we're going to deal with them, uh, that has very real consequences in the real world right now uh, in terms of recruitment and hostility towards the United States. A point Hillary Clinton makes groups. again and again and again. And, and which, uh, which the president took to, you know, the president today as we're speaking, uh, you know, was just shortly after uh, the president gave a speech as well, where he really quite angrily uh, spoke out against, he didn't name Trump, but spoke out against Trumpism. And he was making this point that, that uh, you know, other foreign policy experts are weighing in on that, that regardless of whether he wins or loses, Trump is doing real damage by, by saying these things. And if he wins, the signal that that would send to the, to the world about what America now believes in would be extraordinary. I have a bunch of questions I want to run by the two of you before we run out of time, which we're going to do actually pretty soon. Uh, As you both know, Donald Trump has said he is revoking the Washington Post's credentials when it comes to covering his campaign because apparently, and and Trump seems to think there's a pattern of irresponsible journalistic behavior on the part of the Post, but he also took special umbrage with this Post story that uh, came out yesterday, which was, I think, the most read story for the better part of the day saying that Trump, in an interview on Fox and Friends, had connected President Obama to the shootings in Orlando. And then the Post softened the headline to seems to connect President Obama to the shootings in Orlando. Uh, I'm wondering if you two think that the Post got it wrong, or do you think their interpretation of Trump's insinuation was on target? Well, the Washington Examiner's 
the 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 right wing competitor said the same thing. Yep. Um, you know, I, I read online a very neutral Reuters report, and I said, "Jesus, you know, it's one thing to claim Obama was born somewhere other than Hawaii. It's another thing to to suggest that he's a dupe or an unwitting." Uh, agent, or I would say a, a witting agent. I mean, one of the comments was something like, "He's either not tough and not smart, or there's something else going on." And the other comment, I believe, ran along the lines of, "He either doesn't understand, or he understands all too well." This uh, is McCarthy rhetoric. This is as if Senator Joe McCarthy, tail gunner Joe, um, the, you know, the alcoholic senator, Trump doesn't drink, so I don't know what his excuse is, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's as if uh, Joe McCarthy were running for president. And then, by the way, just to reinforce that point, Peter Kadzis, you also have Trump ally Roger Stone going on Breitbart's Sirius XM radio show and saying that Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman, Huma Abedin, could be a Saudi spy or a terrorist agent. So, David. It's uh, not enough that she's married to Anthony Weiner? I mean, Weiner. Weiner, Weiner. sorry. Uh, David, do, do you think that Trump has any grievance whatsoever when it comes to the Post? No, especially because uh, because every time that he was given an opportunity yeah. to clarify those statements, he either he either doubled down on them by basically repeating them or refused to clarify and said, "You figure it out yourself." You know, I, I think you know I probably would have started with the the seams wording myself uh, if I were them, but uh, but no, he has no uh, he has no real beef, and and he's. Look, he's lashing out. That's what he does. He, he lashes out, and and like Peter said, he's like a 12-year-old. This is the, the big lie writ even larger. So, so does, it, does it matter in a nationwide general election campaign that the Republican presidential nominee has apparently accused the president of treason, which, by the way, has that ever happened before? Peter, you're the resident historian here. Has there ever been a candidate running for president who has accused the sitting president of treason? No, normally, even when they've thought it. For example, Lyndon Johnson thought Richard Nixon had done that by um, subverting the Paris peace talks via right. Henry Kissinger. Right. Even though he thought it, he thought it was too unstable a thing to say for the American populace. You know, Donald Trump doesn't have Lyndon Johnson's fine sensibilities. <laughs> so, so d does this hurt when him? Lyndon, or... When Lyndon Johnson is too subtle for for you, then, uh, you know. <laughs> Ooh, David, you caught it. <laughs> so, so, is this just? Is it possible that this is such a weird year in which the electorate is so sharply divided that you're going to have you know the better part of people uh, who already said they're voting for Trump nodding in agreement when there are intimations of treason? And then, you know, roughly uh, the other half of the country appalled, shaking their head in disbelief with some, you know, unclaimed middle ground, uh, small middle ground in the middle. I mean, David, yeah, is well, this... as... go ahead. Sorry. Well, as, as you know, uh, you know, I've written and talked for years about what's happened on the right with the, what I call the conservative marketplace that, that plays further and further into, you know, the, the, the greater and greater dangers and fears that they have to stir up. And. Uh, you know, it, it's never going to be enough to just have the president, the Democratic president, uh, backing policies that you disagree with or you think could be done better. Uh, it's going to have to be much worse than that. He has to be evil. He has, you know, so this is 
This is actually very common on the right. It's not half the country, though. It's you know, it's a portion of the country. But what would you put it at? Common. A third, forty percent? You know, who really believe? I mean, this is the this is basically the World Net Daily uh, audience, <laughs> which is much much bigger than most people believe. Wait, but it's, let me just to, just to interrupt for a sec. Are you sure about that? I mean, I saw the Fox and Friends interview. I watched it some length. There was no pushback from then. So, is it just World Net Daily, or is it World Net Daily? And well, a certain well, subsection of the, of the Fox well, News audience too. Well, it, it it bleeds over because there's a there's a uh, what's happened is there's a continuum that nobody in the Republican Party or the conservative mo- movement is willing to draw lines on. So no one's willing to say, all right, you know, this what Fox and Friends does is is okay. Then Hannity is a little bit okay. Then then Beck is a little bit okay, and you know, and then you get into you know, World Net Daily, and uh, you know, somewhere in there was, it was Newsmax and uh, Newsmax. You know, you've got yeah, these, you know, that's somewhere in between, and then you've got Alex Jones, who Donald Trump, you know, talks to and refers to as if he's a legitimate you know being, you know, when he's just a complete you know freak, you know, uh, conspiracy theorist. Remind me, has he and, said yet that Orlando is a false flag? I, I have not heard from him on uh, Orlando yet, but I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, but that's the you know that's that's what the problem is on the right is that all of it bleeds together because Fox and Friends knows that a portion of their audience is is way out there with that, and they don't want to alienate them. And that's all the way true, all the way up to Mitch McConnell and and Paul Ryan know that they have to not alienate those people. You, you know, and, and that's what's coming back to bite them right now. L- let me oversimplify a little in the interests, hopefully, of clarity. Um, Let's start with the idea that there are really only about 8% of the American voters, 8% of the likely voters, who are true independents. You know, most people who are independent either lean to the Democrats or they're independent and they lean to the Republicans. I think you, you know, throughout a lot of the summer, at least leading up to the conventions, you know, which are just a few weeks away, um, that th- you're going to see, you know, Trump and Clinton being separated by between 10 and 15 points. Clinton probably ahead. But those 10 to 15 points that separate them really represent true independence. I think Democrats are going to vote with Hillary, and I think most Republicans are going to vote um, with Trump. Now, the challenge for Hillary and the Democrats, and it's a big challenge, is for Hillary to get enough Republican-leaning independence to be, you know, to swallow their dislike for her and vote for her. I, I think it's a much narrower race at the moment at the moment than people think. And that's not even well, taking into account Donald Trump's crafty play for the gay vote on the yeah. of Orlando. <laughs> right, I've noticed that. Which was one of the weirder things I can recall in my limited time on Earth seeing on the national political stage. Did, did that make sense to either of you? Even one iota? What makes him feel good about himself? Yeah. You know, hey, I'm a New right, Yorker. Absolutely. I'm pre- You know, some of my best friends are gay. You know, geez, I hire them, and just like women, I pay them less. You know, 
<laughs> which we right. have not documented right. independently. No, but the Globe and the <laughs> USA Today, I'm, I don't mean to diss the Globe, but USA Today, which has been leading the charge on his, um, uh, uh, you know, internal business malfunctions, um, has reported it. And I tend to believe them. You know, USA Today is not a wild and crazy publication. Wait, they reported that he pays gay employees? No, no. I'm, I'm drawing. I, I was being snide. Okay, that was what the, I thought. No, I, just... I was being snide. that Because he, he's he, a litigious guy. Yeah, well, Trump. He, <laughs> he is a public figure, so and it is protected. So I've got a double protection here. If not, sue me, Donald. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, given that, David, I think we should give the last word to you. And any uh, insight you want to bring from down there in uh, what are we calling it? The D.C. Bureau, the Virginia Bureau, the Southland, I, I, the Mint Julep Bureau. Is, is that the the concern that I have uh, is that that the way that 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 Donald Trump will think that he can win uh, if those independents are moving to. Uh, to uh, Hillary Clinton is by getting more and more of the turnout among his base, which means feeding them more and more of this increasingly racist and and incendiary red meat. And and I frankly am also concerned that even if that's not the strategic reality, because of of what I think is a personality disorder on his part. He will want to do that anyway because that's what he gets the rush from. Because that's what he gets. That's what his audiences react to. That's what he gets when he's incendiary in that way. That's where he gets the most. David, let, let, to on Twitter and in person and so forth. David, let me ask you and, and Adam a question. Uh, do you like me sometimes wonder what, whether Trump really wants to be elected president? <laughs> I'm you know, serious. I know that that idea has kicked around for a while. I, I have not wondered that. Okay. No, I, just... I, I haven't. Um, I think he does. He might not have thought he was going to be at the start, but I haven't seen a point where I thought, oh, this guy doesn't really want it. That's just me. No, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, but I think it's worth, you know, keeping an eye on. You know, I, I don't think he wants to work very hard, which, you know, I don't, I think as he appreciates more and more what it requires, I think that it becomes less uh, interesting to him, but he'll figure out how. How he'll justify in his mind how he could do it without working. Well, do you remember on that note, there was that mind blowing quote a couple weeks back from some top Trump aide. I don't think it was Paul Manafort, but it was someone, you know, near that level saying essentially that Trump sees the presidential job as sort of being the chairman of the board of directors, not even tantamount to being like a CEO or COO, and that he was going to kind of be hovering above whoever he tapped to do the things that we think of a president doing if he wins election, which was wild. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Does that mean we have spot? It's also reflected in, in his campaign. I mean, his campaign is a joke because he, uh, you know, in terms of just the, the, the fundamentals of it, he hasn't put together a campaign because he's not willing to really work at it. Because, you know, it, because he literally seems to spend his time just watching TV and commenting on it, you know, rather than, actually putting together a serious campaign. Kind of like us. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But, but, but I've never told no. anybody I should be president. Uh, that is going to do it for this installment of The Scrum. As always, you can find back episodes of The Scrum online at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. 
You can also find us on iTunes, where we'd urge you to subscribe, and on the podcatcher of your choice. Our producer was Jason Tereski. Our engineer was John Parker. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Thanks for listening.